Welcome back to the Pregnant Podcast, where we cover newsmakers and thought leaders and incredible path to parenthood stories. Today, I'm here at the Eshery Convention in Denmark, recording live on the scene with Emma, a donor-conceived adult who has made it her life's mission to educate people about the beauty and the realities of donor conception. Today's episode is presented by Cryos International, the world's largest sperm and egg bank. Every day, Cryos International helps people around the world make their dream of having a child come true. For more or to book a consult, visit cryosinternational.com. Emma grew up not only with the awareness about the fact that she was conceived via sperm donation, but pride connected to it. As a baby, her bedtime book was her family story of donor conception, and her mom tells her now that she'd share this fact openly with others when she was a child. So how my parents told me that I was donor conceived was through this book. Like, my mom made it herself, and it's with drawings and pictures, and it was a very basic story of how... My parents had trouble conceiving, how they spent so many years in fertility treatment and really struggled with that and all the hurt and sadness that was connected to that process. And then them getting the help from a sperm donor and becoming pregnant with me and how happy and very grateful they were. So perhaps it's no surprise that when social media came around, Emma, now 27 years old, started blogging, educating, and posting about her donor-conceived experience. She's well aware that people who find out that they were donor-conceived later, or whose parents kept it a secret, have a much different relationship than she does to this part of their identity. As she says, quote, the truth hurts less than secrets. And she encourages other parents who have built families with the help of donors to be open early with their kids. Now her Instagram bio promotes a positive mindset around being in this community and the gratitude she has not only for her parents who fought to have her, but the sperm donor who helped give her life. Emma, welcome to the Pregnish Podcast. I'm so happy to meet you here live at this conference in Denmark. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, obviously your story, the way we found you was through donor conception. But before we go into all of that, I always like to start to ask my guests, who are you outside of that? Tell us about yourself. So my name is Emma. As you said, I'm 27. I live in Denmark, where I also grew up with my family. And yeah, I feel like I'm a very ordinary <laughs> Danish girl. I like to... Go out to have coffee with friends and just enjoy life. Enjoy life. And it's interesting because people don't know you and they just find you on Instagram. It feels like your full-time job is promoting awareness and education around donor conception. But do you work outside of that or is that primarily how you spend your day? No, I work outside of that as well. I work at Cries International and I help to create more awareness around donor conception and to like build that into the company in a more inclusive way, I guess. Oh, that's wonderful. So I read, and I read this on your Instagram, that as a young child, you were 
told you were donor conceived. You learned about it through this bedtime book. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So how my parents told me that I was donor conceived was through this book. Like my mom made it herself and it's with drawings and pictures. And it was a very basic story of how my parents had trouble conceiving, how they spent so many years in fertility treatment and really struggled with that and all the hurt and sadness that was connected to that process. And then them getting the help from a sperm donor and becoming pregnant with me and how happy and very grateful they were to have that. And how old were you roughly when you heard this bedtime story? I think what my parents says is that they started reading it to me from I was three years old. So from that age, we have no idea when and how I understood like the full concept of being donor conceived. I know that I have a drawing I made when I was five with like an egg surrounded by sperm cells. Some are happy, some are sad. So obviously when I was five years old, I understood quite a lot about the process of getting pregnant in a sperm and egg cells. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. And, you know, I think what's fascinating about your story is that the common wisdom at the time, this was the 1990s, the early 90s when your parents were cycling, or even the late 80s, because you said it was a seven-year struggle. The common wisdom at that time was not to tell the offspring, not to tell your children, which created in our community at Pregnish, we hear from donor-conceived adults with a very different relationship to their identity here because they didn't learn as children because their parents were discouraged from sharing. So tell me about your parents and why they kind of went against the grain, why you think they did. So I think my parents as well were advised not to tell me about my conception story because the donors matched with my dad's like basic features. But I think they instantly knew that they were not like taking that path. So it's in their general nature to be very open and transparent. And also I think because they had so many years with infertility, they told a lot of people that they didn't really know how to like go from there to like not share this part of their journey. And also both my parents are doctors. I think they thought a lot about how I could find out later in life. Like if my dad needed a kidney, we would find out that our blood didn't match. And then you're already in a crisis. And then what my mom says is always she thought of every situation where she could lose me, like where I would be so hurt by the fact that I was only conceived that I wouldn't want to have anything to do with them. That's so sad. Yeah. So she wanted to like be ahead of those situations. So she thought, well, we'll be completely transparent and then hopefully we will not end up in those situations and we'll talk about things instead. What foresight your mother and your parents had, because we know the data today suggests that transparency being so important from the youngest of ages So to your point, Emma, that you grow up with the knowledge and not any stigma surrounding it, and in fact, sometimes pride surrounding the village that helped create you. I wonder, because it was the context of the 90s when people weren't as openly talking about infertility, especially male factor infertility, what was your family and you met with when you shared your story primarily? So I shared from I was very young like my mom always said that I would 
tell people crowd about my donor conception story because that was what I learned from home that this was something that we really celebrated so that would be my approach as well so first time I met the world where people didn't just believe my story I didn't just like my story I was very taken aback but most of the times also one of the things I'm asked a lot is how the other kids at school how did they react and kids don't really care about those kind of things so they didn't really mind it was more adults that had some kind of not wanting to talk about it feeling like it was inappropriate too personal so it wasn't the kids who had an issue with it clearly it was the adults probably who were more hesitant you know I've always believed that's what's normal to a family is what's normal only to the family there's no such thing as normal and what kids learn. It's the stigma, the shame, or the pride we bring to our family stories that inform kids. And so the fact that your parents had this openness is such a beautiful thing. What was your dad's diagnosis that led them to sperm donation as an option? Yeah, so my dad had a very low sperm count. And so that was the reason that they had trouble getting pregnant. And so that was also why He found out quite early, actually, because he volunteered as a sperm donor, because the process of getting it diagnosed could be a bit long and they wanted to move on. So, yeah, he volunteered as a sperm donor, found out that he had an issue, and then they went on with fertility treatment from there. But even with fertility treatment, it wasn't very easy for them. So they spent like almost six years and were almost through with adoption process when they had one last little embryo and freeze. And as my mom said, they would just like, why not just use them because now they're there? But they had completely given up on that thought. You're the last glimmer of hope. That's amazing. I love it. How did they find or how did the sperm donor match happen? I think Back then, you couldn't choose anything. So it was just he was matched with my dad's like basic features because also back then it was only like what we call anonymous sperm donors. So it's just hair color, eye color, height, those kinds of things that's matched. So also when you see family pictures, you don't see me standing out from the rest of the family. So you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know you're matched. Yeah, I've seen your I've seen your parents. Totally. Yeah. I agree with that. In fact, you look like your dad who raised you. Yeah. And same with my sisters as well, because, yeah, we also look very similar. So your sisters, what's so interesting about your story, too, your sisters are the biological kids of both of your parents. Why is that? Yes. So at that time, ICSI had not been a possibility in Denmark, at least at the time I was conceived. My parents were told it was coming. But as you know, you hear about these things and you... Well, it can take a while. And they had already spent so much time in fertility treatment. They weren't going to wait for anything at that point. But when they wanted to try for a second child, and because it had taken so long, they started like immediately after they had me. And for those who don't know what ICSI is, what is ICSI? If you compare it to IVF, you take egg and sperm and put it into like a bowl. And then you hope for the best, like you hope for nature to do its thing. With ICSI, you take one sperm cell and you put it into the egg. So you help the sperm a lot and you need a much 
smaller sample of sperm. And that worked because your dad did have detectable sperm, but a low count. Yeah. So they were able to inject that one sperm to the egg. It's almost like dating. You could put people in a room and hope they meet each other. You could get a matchmaker to actually make the match. Exactly. So there you go. Oh, that's wonderful. So, you know, of course, in the world of pregnant we have a lot of our audience struggling with the decision, which is a, both a beautiful opportunity and a scary possibility of donor conception. And so what we often say at pregnant is we can be grateful for two seemingly conflicting emotions. I can be very happy that there's a wonderful donor or surrogate or whatever who helps me build my family and still grieve and still mourn the fact that my body couldn't do this. And so what do you, in your education and all the awareness you're driving, I think you're a very comforting voice to this community, but you know well from your own parents this pain point. So what kinds of messages do you think it's important for them to hear? I think that it's important to know that there is a loss connected to this and it's okay to feel sad and feel like your body is not doing what it's supposed to because I think a lot of people feel that very much and I think it can take a lot of time to get over the fact and I also think that has to do with a lot of people are very scared about how they will feel towards the child when the biological link is not there. All these kinds of feelings are very valid. I think the community is such a strong place to like meet people that can mirror your own feelings and talk to you about maybe they are a bit further down the road and they can like talk to you about how it was for them. I think talking and communicating and like getting inspiration from others who've been there in the same shoes is so strong. And now I wanted to take a brief moment to thank today's episode sponsor, Cryos International. We're so thankful that Cryos International supported this episode and so many families navigating the world of donor conception. Cryos International is the world's largest sperm and egg bank, serving clients in more than 100 countries. With over 35 years of experience, Cryos is renowned for its extensive donor selection, exceptional quality control, and unparalleled customer service. Their mission is to help people achieve their dreams of having a child by providing the highest quality of frozen sperm and eggs. In today's interview, Emma, a donor child consultant at Cryos, refers to a book called Our Miracle. It was written to help parents talk to their donor-conceived children about their donor conception at an early age. And this book was inspired by Emma's own experience, where her parents put together a homemade storybook about being donor-conceived that they read to her often as a little girl. The goal of this interview and conversation with Emma is for us to share some of the realities and beauty that can come from the help of a donor. If you're exploring using a sperm or egg donor, visit cryosinternational.com to learn more. And now back to my conversation with Emma. And I don't know if you know, Emma, my journey kind of mirrored your parents in that it was eight years before I met my now four-year-old daughter who was waiting in time in the freezer for a healthy uterus in that case. So my third-party reproduction story, I had a healthy egg. My husband had a healthy sperm. We did ICSI. We made an embryo. But my uterus couldn't grow a baby. So 
we often said, I have the bun, I need the oven <laughs> to grow the baby. But that long journey is something that unless you've been through it, you really don't understand how painful that can be. And I so appreciate your parents kind of being early breaking this taboo. What wonderful wisdom they had at that time. Yeah. Tell me about the first time you digitally shared, you publicly posted. So it wasn't just your classmates or your community who knew about it. And what happened after that? Yeah. So how I ended up sharing was I had a friend who's lesbian. And I've always told people who are part of my life that I was stoner conceived because I feel like it explains a lot about who I am as a person. So she asked me about my experience and I obviously shared with her. And then I thought maybe other people could benefit from knowing our story. And then I went online and everything that I could find online was very heartbreaking because it was all the very sad stories. And that was just so far from what I had experienced. So I started my blog and started writing about my experience. And I could see that people, even though it was just a random blog, I knew nothing about how you create a website. I could see people from around the world finding their way to that information because it was just not something that was there at the time. A positive story about donor conception from a donor-conceived adult. So what year was that? It was in 2018, I think. I see. But, you know, it is interesting, Emma, because we couldn't tell the story without sharing the other side of donor conception of the people who learned later who feel that without these warnings, without those stories, then we're misrepresenting the experience. Can you tell us about that, what you found as you've shared your positive content? I meet a lot of people who are really scared, and I feel like it's important to know what not to do. And we want to hear those stories where people feel like they've been mistreated so that we can avoid going down that or path. Or betrayed. Yeah, but at the same time, they also need to hear what to do instead because they want to have inspiration on how to do this because the people that reach out to me, a lot of them don't really know how to or if they should go down this path because what they've heard from other donor-conceived people has been so heartbreaking for them and they don't want to do that to their own children. But at the same time, they're not sure how to navigate so that they do not end up there. So I feel like it's important to hear both sides so that we can find out how best to navigate this field because it is very complicated. It's very big decisions to make and you make these decisions on behalf of a human being you haven't even met yet. Well, I think something very common in the infertility community is we know we have love for people we haven't met yet that we fight endlessly for these beings that are in our minds and hearts, but not earthside. Yeah. <laughs> and often we've lost babies along the way, this community. So there's a lot of layers to the depth of the love and the feelings that we have. But yes, yeah, certainly if it's been shrouded in secrecy and you learn as a 38-year-old, a 40-year-old through genetic testing, which is a growing trend, sadly, that's going to lead to a very different relationship with your donor story. And so do you speak with that community and how has that been for you? I really much want to speak with that community. Some people 
want to. And I think some people find it too difficult to hear my story and they don't really feel a connection to like my experience because it's so far from how they have experienced donor conception. So it's definitely sensitive and we all try to navigate it. I really want to communicate with them. I know a couple of people that found out late in life and was definitely hurt by that, not being told by their parents. And that was in fairness to their parents. And I know you've shared this. That was the conventional wisdom. Yeah. So, you know, we want to honor their truth, their story, their feelings, and also context is everything because it's the same as being told as a young child your family story. We cannot compare it to someone who learns decades later. It's a very different experience. What advice do you have for people today navigating using the help of a donor to build their families, what to do, what to think about? I think it's very important to think about how you want to tell this, share this. I always say that a book like the one my parents made, today there are also books you can buy, but a book is a really great resource because for a lot of people, donor conception is also connected to very, as we talked about, very mixed emotions and maybe you haven't really deal with that fully yet. So it's also a healing process for the parents to like have something that you can tell the story from and then you can talk more and the child will ask questions and you can have conversations from that. But it's a very good resource to start with because it gives you something to hold on to when you feel like you might struggle a bit yourself. Oh, I think that's great advice. I actually started editing the books I read to my four-year-old since she was two. I edited it every time it said she came from mommy's belly. Uh I would say cousin Alana's belly. So I have in real time, and this is another piece of advice I have for our community listening. If you can't find the perfect book that resonates or you don't want to write it as creatively as your parents, Emma, did, I think you can edit certain books to share your story. And every family story is unique. So you're not a freak if you have this part of your story. Every story has layers and every story has nuances. And what's beautiful about life is not every family is the same, but love is what makes a family. Yeah. I wanted to also ask you about the book you helped create with Cryos International, Our Miracle. I know as a little kid, you were parents created this beautiful book for you. Why was this book important to you? And tell us more about it. So one of the things that got me into sharing about my own experience with donor conception was also that I knew that what that would have meant to my parents to have that resource. So I really wanted to help other people navigate this very, very complex decisions and emotions. And so by giving them maybe some resources, it might be also just inspiration in our story or to do something completely different than what we've done, I think can be very helpful because a lot of parents feel a bit lost in that process because of the many choices and possibilities. So yeah, the book is a very good resource for parents who don't feel like they're up to the challenge of creating a book by themselves because that was what my parents did. And I think that's very lovely because it 
becomes very, very personal. But not everyone would feel like like they have the imagination or maybe not the words yet. So I think it's a great way to start. And then maybe as you get more and more comfortable with that, you can create your own or maybe you find that it's enough for you. But obviously, I really think that the honesty and the transparency is so, so important. So also, it's a resource to help people move in that direction, I guess, to be more transparent with the children. I wanted to ask you about your genetic dad, the sperm donor. Can you tell me anything about the donor and your relationship or lack of relationship with that person? Yes. So obviously due to the time I was conceived, the donor I have is also what at that time you would call it an anonymous donor. We don't really use that term anymore because anonymity is kind of out of the picture. So I have no information about him and um, my parents also don't know anything other than that he's matched with my dad's basic features and actually I've never really wanted to know any more about him or seek out information about him. So yeah, I don't really know what he looks like or his profession or anything about him and I'm completely okay with that. I send him kind thoughts from time to time and I'm extremely grateful for what he's given me and my family, but I don't feel like I miss him in my life. It's very interesting because that's a perspective we don't hear, I think, enough. And one thing you've shared with me, Emma, which I've really appreciated that you shed light on is it's a choice for the offspring, right, of the donor-conceived children and adults to make that choice to find their genetic parent or not. I mean, today with genetic testing, it's more possible. But I think it's presumptuous of us who haven't been on this path to assume everybody wants that relationship. Can you talk more about when you say there aren't really anonymous donors today? Can you expand more on that? Yeah. So how I see this is more like that the donors, they give an indication if they want to have any contact or not. First of all, the information you're giving about a donor is not very much to go from. When you have an ID release donor, for example, and want to seek them out, no one knows if that's going to be possible for you. And the same goes for the anonymous donors that, well, if you really want to find information about them, the chances of them being in some kind of DNA registry are just getting bigger and bigger. So my perspective is much more when they decided to donate, at least, because this can also change over time. And that's the fact that's really scary because we don't know how this changes for this one particular person. So it gives an indication of at the time they donated, did they think that they would want that contact or not? And I think it will keep evolving. And the more transparency, and you've really captured this in our interview and with our work at Pregnish, we know the more transparency around these conversations, these decisions, the better. Because at the end of the day, 
It takes a village for so many of us to have a family. We're grateful, as you beautifully stated, for the village that help us. And the, the people who raise us, we see as our family, our parents. And I think outsiders don't necessarily understand that. So the more of these stories, the better. I've so appreciated hearing from you on the Pregnant Podcast. I love being here. It was really amazing to talk to you as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. Where can people find you? They can find me on, I have both a website, which is called Donor Child Emma. And then I have my Instagram, which is also Donor Child. And yeah, they can find me there. And also my book, if interested. What's your book called? Donor Child, A Child of Love. Oh, perfect title. Well, thanks so much for being on the Pregnish Podcast. And thanks for listening to another episode of Pregnanish, where we cover the extraordinary lengths extraordinary people go to to create their families with the help of science and technology. And in this case, the help of donor conception. Until next time.